You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Song of the Sea edition. Hello, everybody. I am Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. We've got the preacher who's a teacher of cinema right there. It's Benjamin, Song of the Sea Solzer. I'm here. You liked this movie so much, you changed your middle name to Song of the Sea. Expensive process. An expensive process. well worth it. Right. When a movie helps you deal with grief like this one... And has beautiful animation and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yep. Do you have any Irish blood, Ben? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know how much, but yes, the answer is yes. That's the other name we call you. Irish, he's Irish blood, Ben. Irish blood, Ben. Irish blood, Benny. Well, I don't know about the other guy. I think he has some Irish blood, probably. I mean, he's Indeed. got he's got red hair, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. So, but the important thing is that we introduce him. So, go ahead. Uh, Irish hair, Jake. Is the pastor who's a master of cinema. That's what we call him, old <laughs> Irish hair. <laughs> old Irish hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of sounds like a dog. Not to his face. <laughs> no, 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 but... no. Never to his face. No. Often to his back. Yes. And then he turns around and he's like, stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jake. You do. I didn't know you could hear you when bad. your back was turned. <sighs> yeah. The fact that Jake has ears that hear in all directions. Mm-hmm. A big problem for those who want to get something <laughs> past him. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed this. <laughs> I sure have. <laughs> well, <laughs> I said those to be polite, but the principal person who's trying to get things past Jake is old Sneak, Sneaky Boots himself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sneaky Boots. But guys, listen, let's get to the episode. It's Song of the Sea. It came out in 2014. It's an animated children's classic, somewhat much requested, I think. People tend to. Like this one, not request. Is I don't want to say like the crowds were breaking down our doors. Like you have to re- review this movie, but it's a movie that occupies a special place in the hearts of those who have seen it. So anyone who knew this movie was an evangelist for this movie. I would say. Yeah, when we did our best kids movies episode, we had any number of people <laughs> saying, "Why well, wasn't Song of the Sea on the list?" Yeah, what's wrong with you guys? Where was Song of the Sea? Well, <laughs> the answer was we hadn't seen it. Yeah, well, that's yep. the answer. I'm about to give like two a two-hour answer right now. <sighs> I like this movie. Guys, Sounds we need... Sounds like it. No, no, I did. I, I mean, I felt torn about this movie. Uh, we'll talk about it. I, I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was worth watching. I'm glad to have seen it start there. Ben, you were tasked with the all-important context I was. of this movie. <clears throat> I was. Yeah, I'll give I'll give what there is. There's not a lot. No, I mean, there's really not a lot. So Tom Moore is the director, and he he started started the studio Cartoon Saloon back in 1999, and started started making stuff. He's Irish. And this the studio say. is now in Kilkenny, Ireland. Kilkenny. And they made they've made four feature length movies. They've made Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, The Breadwinner, and Wolfwalkers. Three of those have been directed by Tom Moore. The Irish Folklore Trilogy, he calls it. <clears throat> That's right, yeah. The uh, breadwinner being the exception. It's about a young girl in Afghanistan in 2001 under Taliban rule mm. whose dad is taken away and she has to Wins provide bread. for the family. Yeah. yeah, That's right. I've heard a lot of good things about that movie, but never seen it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'd actually be interested in seeing it. It's hard to imagine it wouldn't be on the feminist side of things, given who these folks are and given the trailer that I saw, but it looked like a good story to me anyway. The animation's beautiful, as mm-hmm. you might expect. Their animation has a very distinctive 
style that I, I bet you could describe it a little better than me, Nathan, just to interrupt context for a second. Well, I wish I could, but I was trying to think what exactly this is. Like, mm-hmm. what, what are the words for yeah. the, the style? It, it's very simple. It's, it's, he would maybe call it two and a half D. Like, it's not quite three-dimensional. The characters, don't, yeah. the characters seem to occupy two – it's like three-dimensional characters occupying a two-dimensional space. So, they normally on, only move forward or move from side to side, but their heads can swivel and they can turn. And Yeah. So yeah. It reminds me of animation from the 60s, you know, the right. kind of stuff that you see in the front of a Pink Panther film or something yes. like that. Yeah, kind absolutely. Of, like, has a flat look. Yeah, the flat kind of almost ad ad. What, what do I want to say? Like the Mad Men style '60s art art. What's what are the art words? Deco. Not, it's not no, quite, it's, it's not, not art, right. deco, art deco, but kind of part of that movement. The Andy Warhol in the '60s. There's this movement towards this kind of splashy graphic art with bold colors and simple designs, and mm-hmm. they're kind of riffing on that within the character design. But then they have right. these beautiful backgrounds that are that are more like illuminated manuscripts right that are making use of all these traditional shapes and symbols that you'd find in irish mythology Mm -hmm. it's like things that you see in the patterns on the on the waves and the rocks and stuff and in the Mm sky well the fact is each of the three movies i don't know about the breadwinner but each of the three movies in his trilogy have a slightly different design style too i mean the first one is about an illuminated manuscript Mm -hmm. so it's very specifically designed around yeah. illuminated manuscript type stuff. And then yeah. this one, I think he's taking what from traditional Irish design. Mm-hmm. Certainly he would say he is. And and then Wolfwalkers has a more kind of watercolory. I haven't actually seen Wolfwalkers, but I've seen enough yeah. to know it's got more brush strokes kind of in the Yeah. That's right. In the design. Yeah. But they but they all have kind of that I don't know, it's kind of a use of if anyone's ever seen Charlie Harper's like animal drawings, he's like has these really geometric birds Yes. That are fun. He has, he likes to play around with hard geometric angles and then make a softness as a contrast in the motion and then the way that certain characters are drawn at certain times. Yeah, it really is. I'm sorry. I just, I'm not an art historian, but if you think about the Disney films of the 60s, your 101 Dalmatians, you think about the way that the backgrounds are done in something like that, there's just a whole graphic design movement that's like geometric shapes put -hmm. together and and made into characters and into designs. Mm -hmm. A yeah. lot of your your mom's favorite children's books that are kind of now going out of vogue, but maybe our generation grew up as kids having them be read to us, have this style of design. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what it's called. So, maybe yeah. there's some listener that's screaming, like, it's Art Nouveau, you moron! But <laughs> or, I'm sorry, listener. I'm, I don't know what Art Nouveau is. I'm not is. sure that 101 Dalmatians is what I would have pulled to compare this one to. No. I think of that as a very unpleasant not beautiful <laughs> line of uh line in disney no it's only just the fact that everything is a little bit not so much the puppies but like cruella and the cars and the everything is kind of exaggerated into this blocky design motif and, mm-hmm. and there's probably a better disney movie if i was more on my game but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I wish we had a graphic designer here to just tell us exactly what the names for all these things are and what the school is. Well, okay. Here's here's a quote from Tom Moore. He said, the, uh, who's the director? Quote, some friends in college and I were inspired by Richard Williams' unfinished masterpiece, The Thief and the Cobbler. Anyone's ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. In the Disney movie Mulan, which took indigenous traditional art. 
as the starting point. For a beautiful style of 2D animation, I felt that something similar could be done with Irish art. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, right. Mulan is a is a good touchstone, although the animation is much more fluid and dynamic in the mm-hmm. Disney style. That's right. Yeah. And much more three-dimensional, mm-hmm. by which I do not mean... Well, it's just harmonized with Disney's own house style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Which Disney From has... the 90s, at least. Mm-hmm. Disney has historically done a bad job of getting outside of their their house style. Mulan is an exception. Sleeping Beauty is the great exception. That's right. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, it's hard for the, even when they have, you'll, you'll, you'll read a book from the Disney archives that has these beautiful designs and you'll be like, why didn't they just do Actually, that? Actually, I think Sleeping Beauty might be the best pull in the sense that it's like a storybook and so is this guy's films. Yeah. You, you could imagine just looking at it on the pages of a book. Yeah. It just looks like it, it has a formality to the backgrounds and the characters. And the way that they're to put together. Mm-hmm. I don't, I guess I don't have the terminology either, folks. But anyway, so back to context, Tom Moore starts Cartoon Saloon. They had like one season of something called Skunk Foo. There you go. <laughs> that you could find online, I'm sure. They made, they made Secret of Kells. It was moderately successful. They made Song of the Sea. It was way more successful and got them recognition. They made The Breadwinner, which was really talked about. They made Wolf Walkers, which people... I think loved They're working on a couple other films right now. They have they have a they have a, a show that I think is not ongoing right now called Puffin Rock, kind mm-hmm. of a kid show about puffins and their friends on Puffin Rock. There you go, having little adventures. So they've they've been pretty successful, especially for an independent operation like this. Cartoon Saloon had three hundred employees in twenty twenty, which I don't know. I know animation takes a lot of hands, but. No, that's amazing. And I know they've had to hire their services out to advertisers and things like that. Like they, I, I know Book of Kells or Secret of Kells, it's called, yeah. was difficult to get off the ground. They yeah. had to raise the money, you know, it's got one of those stories. Tom Moore had to mortgage his second house, you know, right. whatever. Right. Mortgage his second house. Yes, folks. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's the phrase I wanted. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> yeah, that was great. So Puffin Rock, I Puffin Rock fits in there somewhere with establishing their popularity. So it went viral in China. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was watched 55 million times in its first six weeks wow. on a Chinese streaming platform. So that that helped a lot. Um, and then Song of the Sea made more money, and then Secret of Kells and stuff. So just a couple other notes on like who this guy is and who his people, his organization is. He has one son named Ben. Good. Just like the Song of the Sea main character, mm-hmm. the boy, his name is Ben. But he's, well, let me just, let me just read you a quote. I found a new New York Times um, article about this stuff. And uh, do, where are we here? Yeah. So, there's all kinds of quotes from this article that tell you almost everything you need to know about the dude. So, at one point, he's talking about mm, stories of, of Selkies and... Uh, Irish, Celtic, Icelandic myths of seal people obviously is, is behind the mythology of this this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's silky myths everywhere it turns out. There's like a lot of seal people myths. That's one thing I learned looking into context. But he says, quote, when people believed in those stories, there was a better, more pantheistic way of looking at the world. Rather than just simplifying everything down to the very commercial logic of the seals or eating the fish, we're losing money, kill the seals, unquote. And then you, you have this other thing. Here, here's here's just a long quote. They're at they're at a restaurant that has a vegan menu, partly mm. inspired by Tom Moore, who lives near this restaurant and patronizes it. So, quote: Over vegan nut roast, Moore talked cheerfully about coming to the end of a phase in his life and career. The Irish trilogy was a single 
project, whatever he did next would be different, he felt. He was finishing a short for Greenpeace about industrial meat and deforestation. He hoped it would play in theaters with Wolfwalkers. Once that was done, he was going to step away from the studio for a bit. Uh, skip ahead. He would focus on life drawing and on microdosing psychedelics. At a stage in life when many people are in the thick of parental obligations, he and his wife have a freedom they've never experienced. End quote. <laughs> How many different things can you I, cram into one? I, yeah, you, you, can, you, you can pull a lot from that. He's, he's anti-capitalist, basically, uh, and just, yeah. He, so, he likes pantheism, doesn't like Christianity. I think that's very obvious if you, especially, not so much in Song of the Sea, although there's some little jabs like the, like the grandmother before she becomes an emotionally whole person has religious iconography mm -hmm. all over her apartment. To him, I think it's clear religion is a symbol of what suppresses and represses and, and emotions and brutalizes people. That's part of, that's part of Secret of Kells. It's definitely part of Wolfwalkers from what I've read. Maybe I'm overstating it a little, but he just feels like a pretty, I don't like your traditional religions, man. They keep us down, man. Well, kind of a guy. A lot of blood has been spelt very recently in his country over traditional religions. So, mm -hmm. that's important to bear in mind as well. Yeah. All right. I don't know what else I have for for context. I mean, I there you go. That's who, that's who Tom Moore is. He's only 43 now. Studios, pretty successful, making more stuff. I mean, his, his movies are beautiful. That's for sure. So he's what? What all did we get from that paragraph? He's uh, eating a vegan nut roast. Mm -hmm. which sounds delicious. Yep. He's yep. unencumbered by children. Although he's, he has he, one. He, is, he has one child. At a stage when many people are encumbered by encumbered by children or whatever. He's, yep. He's not. That's right. He's environmentalist. He's he's he doesn't. He's he's nervous. He's about um. <laughs> he's nervous about uh, the commercial diversification of his company like producing plushies to go with his puff and rock show he's mm. like ah oh, that just makes him queasy a little i guess i think he thinks of it as an evil necessity i didn't read that part of the article but so anyway there you go there you go about what you'd expect i guess mm -hmm. or maybe you wouldn't i don't know i think it's about Cartoon what i expect saloon has a tv show debuting on disney plus in 2022 <laughs> nice what is it viking school i bet it will be Fun. Well, I'm glad he took a brave stand against capitalism by making a Viking show for Disney Plus. The least capitalistic of <laughs> all organizations. You see what I'm doing here with satire, folks? I'm saying the opposite. Because <laughs> Disney's actually a triumph of yeah. capitalism, maybe the triumph of capitalism in the 20th century. Uh, <sighs> you are a card. I am a card. I am a card. Well, uh, guys... I've got one other piece of baggage, or not baggage, although it kind of is baggage because it plays into my what I think about this movie. But in terms of context, I did read some Irish folklore. I, I, I have read my share of folklore in, in days past. Mm -hmm. And I, re I went ahead and read some traditional Selkie stories. And I thought I'd just uh, very quickly read, read you guys a real Selkie story. They are very grim. Just Yeah, just to give you so... So, Selkie stories almost always revolve around either... Sometimes it's actually a man, but often, usually it's a woman, a woman Selkie, who comes on land and marries a man, but he can't tame her. She longs for the ocean. The ocean draws her back. And he only got her usually by stealing her selkie coat, which allows her to turn back into a seal. So, he steals her coat, 
He hides it away. She's forced, this naked woman on the beach is forced to marry this dude who's fallen in love with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's all about coercion and yeah. weird. That's right. Well, you know, I'm not all for Freudian readings of fairy tales or anything like that, but it is. it does feel like... Yeah, we're getting at the archetype of the untamed wife or the, sure, it's that kind of thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so so one of the most famous is about Thari Ru O'Dowd, a clan chief, I won't do it like that, a clan chief who was tasked with finding himself a bride upon rising to clan leadership. Apparently, choosing a wife was more difficult than he realized. He could not make up his mind. Out walking on the beach to clear his head, Thaddy stumbled upon a beautiful maiden combing her hair. Though unclothed, she had a magical cape or coat next to her. her. Uh, of course, he knows about the Selkies, so he snatched up the Selkie cloak to hide away, professed his love for her at first sight, and without her fishtail, the Selkie, called Eve, had no choice but to return his love and marry him. Together they ruled the lands and raised their seven children, but Eve always longed for the sea. The end, except no, it's not the end. <laughs> Uh, legend has it that though the selkie cloak was well hidden, one of their children spotted Thaddy checking on it and told his mother of the bag of gold. When Thaddy was away from home, Eve checked the spot her child told her about, and lo and behold, her fishtail. With the return of the fishtail, Eve could not resist the temptation of the sea, and so she left to go back to the ocean with her children. But she could not take them all, and instead turned five of them into rocks. Swimming off into the waves with the remaining children <laughs> wow. under each arm. Uh. <laughs> and that motif, that motif is, reoccurs again and again and again. Sometimes gender swapped, but mm-hmm. just the idea of you have this untamable wife who isn't actually going to look after your kids. Oftentimes it leads to destruction. Sometimes it's your fault for, for tricking her or for messing with fairyland in the first place. But you've got this thing you can't control. She has no interest in controlling it. The Selkie is oftentimes portrayed very coldly or villainously or, or, or just in that fairy tale way. We're, we're not going out of our way to pass judgment, but there's just this weird creature that wants to go back home and, and doesn't really have any interest in you. Or I'll never forget a Neil Gaiman comic, Sandman, which I don't recommend, but Dream and, Dream and his sister... Who is it? Delirium. Delirium. Mm -hmm. Visit Earth. And Delirium gets mad at a cop and curses him so that he'll just see bugs crawling over his face until he dies. And we cut back a number of times in the comic to this guy just like being taken into a sanatorium where he sees bugs because he's just got visions of bugs crawling over his face. And I thought Geek Gaiman in that moment did a nice job of just getting at the kind of random godless things happen when you mess with the immortal like it wasn't that this guy did anything to deserve it it's just kind of like sometimes the gods play tricks on us sometimes they they mess us over there's there's that kind of attitude to a lot of the the selkie mythology just well a lot of the selkie mythology is that the selkies are fallen angels trapped in these weird bodies or Mm -hmm. especially evil people who then were cursed by mm-hmm. becoming selkies to begin with. So maybe it goes all the way back to Genesis 6. Are we doing one of those kinds of podcasts? Is it Genesis 6? Is that what I want? The, I mean, maybe. The, yeah, the, the Nephilim and all that? Yeah, um, I mean, people do that sort of sort of thing with it, just like with Beowulf. But mm-hmm. there's a really famous selkie named Ursula. Kind of an operatic. She liked to sing, I think. Trans forward kind of. Yeah. 
Ursula is not a selkie. Selkies are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ursula is quite the looker the, too. Did you see the thing she turned herself into? Oh, when she got on land. Dun dun dun. You think a seal is beautiful? No. What about when the fish monster gets on land? What happens then? Oh mm-hmm. man, beautiful. Wow. She kind of does, wow. doesn't she? Yeah. Yep. Come on, man. Yeah. Follow the mythology. Yeah. All right. Disney Disneyfies the mythology. Mm. The cartoon saloon, cartoon saloonifies it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, Ursula was quite the looker when she was trying to get Erica to marry her. True. Poor unfortunate soul. (laughs) Guys, yeah. I I don't know if there's, you got anything else about Selkies, Jake, or anything? It's it's just worth saying the stories are kind of the kind that you wouldn't necessarily tell your ch- child unless you wanted them to. They're just, but they're, but they're that, around. That, that's true. Folk Most folk tales or yeah. like Grimm's fairy tales or anything like that, that you would, a, a Disney movie would be based off of like, it's, we're not going to tell it at least not like that. It's going to be Disney. Yeah. I'm not, another, right? so, I don't think mm-hmm. I'm going to. This is just what we do. What Disney set the pattern of us doing with modern takes on, old fairy tales that have some kind of resonance with us culturally. Right. And I'm I'm not going to mm-hmm. give this movie an F because they didn't have the Selkie heartlessly abandon her family and make well, this... She kind of did. What's that? She kind of did. I mean, well, it, well, it depends on what you want to... How you want to read it. That's right. It, yeah. it does. But yes, it feels like she did. It feels like the movie... Well, I think we, we should litigate that for sure. Yeah, we will. We will. That's important. I think that's probably going to be a lot of our litigation. But uh, what baggage did you guys bring to this fairy tale wise folktale-wise, animation-wise, uh, any otherwise? Ben? I mean, <clears throat> I love animated stuff, and I enjoyed seeing the style of his movies. I feel like the ghost of Miyazaki is kind of in here. Miyazaki is an, an influence that Tom Moore will name. Yeah, I mean, and he would explicitly say that. I don't see that. how he couldn't. Yep. Yeah, there's no way he couldn't for because Miyazaki does with Japanese mythology what he's doing with Irish mythology in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Although we should litigate that comparison too because Miyazaki's movies are less uh, neat and tidy, shall we say? Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, so I and I and I know some Irish mythology generally. I don't know a lot of it. I rem- remember that giant's name, and he's a really important part of Irish mythology. And the witch Macha mm-hmm. is a pretty important is a pretty significant Irish, like, witch goddess lady mm-hmm. thing, or a sovereignty goddess, as, as they call them. I don't have, I don't have, like, a ton of lore knowledge. But, I don't know. I like stuff like this. There's not much other baggage. I Oh, yeah, I did see Secret of Kells before. Didn't like it at all. Like, yeah, the, like the animation, but did not like that movie. Let's talk about that in a minute. Okay. Uh, we can, let's finish baggage, and then we can talk real briefly about that, because that, that'll be interesting. Okay. Jake, your baggage? I've never seen any movie by the studio. I considered starting Wolfwalkers. I might have even started it and turned it off because of time constraints or something like that at some point. I just never went back to it. So I hadn't seen anything by my whole family had. My family loves this movie. They all watched it one night without me somewhere. But it's the kind of movie that they love and then never want to see again. And mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the one kid that thinks that it's funny to, would be funny to make everybody cry will ask for it. But just to be a masochist, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, I knew my family loved the movie and enjoyed it and I knew everybody cried and was super sad about it and considered it one of the saddest movies that they had seen. I love folklore. I like Neil Gaiman. 
I don't have like a lot of expertise or anything like that with Irish or Celtic folklore. So, yeah, it's not my favorite strain. I'm realizing as we talk, maybe it's just not as popular of a strain, but I always like the Norse stuff the best growing up. Yeah, that's interesting. For, for whatever reason. But 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 I read the most of the Greek stuff. We had books around of Greek mythology, which is pretty perverse. Like all like all that stuff. Yeah, so my baggage would be I like animation. I have certainly seen my share of anime and different styles, which I think probably helps just to be acclimated to something that's not Disney. We are so inundated with the Disney style. Although maybe that's not as true now as it was when we were growing up, because now you have so many different styles that find their way into even a Disney Plus show or a Netflix show or on TV, like in a kind of post Simpsons world, we just have a lot of different styles. I mean, I know we've been living in a post Simpsons world now for 30 years, but so maybe that's not the right reference point. But the point is there's lots of animation out there. There's lots of, certainly the Japanese influence is heavy. The post adult swim. Yeah. Post adult swim world. That's better. (laughs) Yep. And so, we see lots of different styles or pastiches of other styles. So maybe it's a little bit less unusual, less unusual, less. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to say? Maybe, maybe, maybe kids today are actually, it's actually easier for them to adapt to different styles. I mean, I remember people when I was growing up who really could not wrap their brains around anime. Like it wasn't about the stories or anything. It was just stylistically they were so stuck in the disney school that plus i guess computer animation lends itself to stylization which isn't taken advantage of as much as it ought to be but it is taken advantage of enough that we're used to the pixar school over here and the kubo and the seven string school over here and the dreamworks school over here and the this and the that so i like animation i mean i i felt like i was the biggest sucker for this movie, or I should have been. And I mean, I like folklore. I like sad stories about parents. I just, this, this, if you made a Venn diagram of my interests or personal experiences and what this movie is trying to do, it would pretty much just be a circle. It would overlap pretty perfectly. I, I love all this stuff. I love the Fae, the numinous, the fairy world, all of that. So, I was prepared to love this movie. But let's talk about Secret of Kells real quick, which me and Ben have both seen. It's his first feature. What year did that come out, Ben? Hmm. Sorry, I just had it open. That came out in 2014. No, 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 no. Sorry. That's this movie, 2000, 2009. 2009. Yeah, but then it, it took a year to get released in the US for whatever reason. Right. And it, so that movie is more explicitly pagan. In in terms of, I mean, they're both pretty explicitly pagan, but you could read yeah. Song of the Sea as just a generic fairy tale fantasy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Th- that's drawing from Iron, Irish yeah, mythology. Sure. Uh, Secret of Kells is based on the Kells manuscript, which is a real illuminated manuscript. An illuminated manuscript being one of those fancy books that monks made with all the little colors and curly cues and illustrations and stuff like that. And the Book of Kells is... Arguably the most famous. I mean, there's not a more famous one that is, is there. Like, it's yeah, it's the I, big I, one. I don't know. And it has the four gospels in it. It's got Latin. the four gospels. It's also got some some crap, some pagan hmm. mythology mixed in. Just just a smattering. But 
it's basically for the four gospels drawn. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. You can look it up. You can, you can do your own research. You can see pages. I'm trying to think of an example. I don't know. There's, there's just interesting. They'll, they'll throw in these things and you don't know why. Like there'll be a guy being assaulted by a devil in the background or a guy getting drunk with a lightning bolt coming down. And, and meanwhile, Jesus over here, Jesus is preaching or, but, but we're putting in these little things that are obviously alluding to some kind of folklore or maybe somebody just thought it was funny or whatever, but it's, it's a weird book and it's fun to kind of parse the mysteries of what they were doing in any given place. Cause it's just these, if, if you can picture the style, it's just these ornate drawings with, with all these different things. But the secret of Kells is a fairy story about the production of this book. And it's about a little boy who lives in a monastery that's been tasked with producing these kinds of books. And instead, the stern authoritarian abbot only wants to build a wall against the invaders that are coming, the Northmen. Mm-hmm. And so, the little boy defies him to go out into the forest and to collect berries and to interact with fairy, the fairy world and this little fairy girl and to help produce this book. And the moral of the story is, of course, that he was right to do that and that Art will save us. Or yeah, something? yeah. I mean, as the isn't it as the abbot lays dying or something. The stern, formerly authoritarian. You're right, abbot. right. As he as he's dying on his bed, he he gets to see the completed book of Kells, and he realizes he he says something like, "Yes, this is what we need. This is the beauty we needed to defeat the darkness." Right. So it's a it's a movie about how the arts turn back. <laughs> the t- it's just so dumb. When, when I, I just had a, I, I remember having a fairly visceral sense of, man, this is just dumb. Yeah, it's, it's pretty overtly that. It's also pretty overtly neo-pagan. Like this abbot is, I mean, not neo-pagan, I guess, but made by a neo-pagan yeah. in praise of old old school pagan. It's like this abbot is so concerned with keeping out, with, with being a stern authoritarian Christian. Meanwhile, the little boy is going to sneak into fairyland. And it's going to be wonderful. He'll have an actual relationship with a natural world, which will let him produce beauty, which will let him turn back the tie, the barbarian horde. Because isn't that how we've always won against the barbarian hordes is... Beauty, right? Illuminated manuscripts, the production of art, and it's interesting that he chose a real book of the four gospels as his, <laughs> yeah, as his mystical totem for all this. I mean, that, yeah, that maybe adds a layer of complexity, but not really to the movie because the movie, I don't know that it even mentions that it's the four gospels. It just, I think, I feel like that was more just like here's a thumb in your eye, gospels or something like that. I mean, it's it seemed both thoughtless and impudent. Yeah. Both thoughtless and impudent. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's pretty explicitly pagan and, and art is numinous and all kinds of things that we don't like here in the sanity verse. I mean, also, I would say it's just not a compelling story. It's actually just not, I, I didn't find it to be a compelling story. It's compelling to watch frame by frame because it's beautiful. It's fascinating to me. If you like animation, it's really cool. Yeah. What but, they do is they actually animate parts of the Book of Kells and they have the Book of Kells. This boy has like the magical Campbellian Book of Kells power. Like he's the master illustrator oh, or yeah, some crap. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Which is which is really kind of weird and hard to wrap your head what, around. What, what he draws comes alive kind of. Yeah, in his head. Yeah. You, you, you see like little interludes where we're not actually looking at reality. So, it's a fun movie to look at. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I did have that piece of baggage and that movie is so explicit in thumbing its nose at things that we love and cherish that it probably did sour this one a little bit for me just by proxy, even though I wouldn't say that this one is guilty of the same 
but I doubt Jake's. I don't, I don't know. It'd be really interesting. I don't know that we need to subject them to this experiment, but it would be interesting to see whether they would fall for Secret of Kells or whether they'd just be kind of bored by why are we telling this weird animated story about a book that no one cares about and. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the average kid would think. None of these movies have been huge money makers. I mean, they've done okay, but mm-hmm. I don't think that they've ever had a real commercial breakthrough. You know, certainly nothing analogous to Disney or Pixar or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like this guy's doing it for the art and he's making it for a certain segment of people that appreciate this kind of thing. The Song of the Sea, I think, has the longest legs in terms of families discovering it and people. It's 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 had a it's had a shelf life. Maybe maybe more of a shelf life than Secret of Kells. Certainly, people have been telling us to watch Song of Sea now for years, and nobody ever told us to watch The Secret of Kells. So, just anecdotally, I think that's true. <laughs> it looks, I mean, if I understand how to read, you know, numbers and stuff, it looks like Wolf Walkers was a money loser. I believe this, I saw that in preparation for this. I don't know if that can be right, but yeah, I'm not clear. Well, it's hard. To, it, it's hard to gauge how... A direct to Apple Plus, uh, Apple TV mm. Plus, kind of thing is gonna okay, gonna be right. I mean, you're not gonna have a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Apple TV Plus at the time that Wolf Walker's released had nothing good going for it. It still doesn't have much good going for it, at least compared to Disney Plus or Netflix or right. HBO Max. Huh. So it's hard to hard to judge. I think. I mean, if you had an Apple TV. Wolfwalkers of all of them is the one that's been most in your face because they were like, mm-hmm. come to Apple TV to subscribe to Apple TV and Plus or whatever it is and watch Wolfwalkers. It's always there yeah. at the top of the screen or was there for a mm. period of time. So, at least in terms of exposure, it's had, it's had a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This is a total tangent, but in, the, in terms of the history of cinema, it's just fascinating to me because early Hollywood... They had chains of theaters and the way the studio would do it is if you want Gone with the Wind, then you have to buy our entire program of films, Mr. Theater Distributor. And so we're going to make one really cool movie and then we're going to make a bunch of B filler movies and you need to sign a contract that says you're going to show all of those movies or else you don't get to show the big one that everybody Mm -hmm. actually wants to see. And that model was broken up by the government. They said it's monopolizing basically like you're, you can't force people the theater. You can't just own the chains this way. It's not fair. We are, we are, we are basically returning to that model. Now, if I want to watch wolf walkers, I have to pay for Apple Plus's entire slate of content that I don't care about. And now that model's being passed directly onto the consumer. It's it's not just Mm -hmm. the theater owner. It's like if I want to watch the latest Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman, I mean, I have to to subscribe to Netflix and and pay for everything that Netflix does. And it's just, it's an insane model. I wouldn't, if the government decided they were going to break it up somehow, I I don't know. I mean, I'm all for free enterprise and all that kind of thing, but I don't know that I would object too much. (laughs) If somebody (laughs) decided we're going to break up Netflix, it's an unfair business practice to make people pay for a slate of products that. Uh-huh. aren't actually the ones that they use. Yeah, um, interesting. The The difficulty with that is that the price point... The price point is low, yeah. Is low. So, you pay $13 mm-hmm. because you want to watch that one movie. Really, I've just it, bought a ticket for The Irishman. That's right. You bought a, yeah, you bought a ticket to the movie theater. Plus, you get a month a month's worth of all this other content. 
on top of it and get to watch it from the convenience of your own home. Not many people are going to complain about that if they want to watch The Irishman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Except for the people who object morally to giving money to Netflix in the first place and then don't just don't watch The Irishman. Right. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to support the Irishman and not support cuties, though. I mean, it would be as a consumer, I would like that. Whether whether I think it's a completely immoral practice or not, I do more. And you could say, say, of course, yeah. Irishman money is going to cuties anyway. Exactly. Like, what's the if difference? You're paying for the studio, if you're paying products, the, the money goes to the studio. Yeah, and I get that, but I still think there's a little something to what I just said. Like, there's still a, there's a little something to you know what, I'm going to buy this product from you guys, but I'm not going to buy this product because I want my money to speak for this product and not mm-hmm, speak sure. for this product. Yeah. And it's it stinks not to have that choice by and large. Mm-hmm. Although, again, they'd say, well, we did release the movie into a limited theatrical run that never came to Evansville, but if you wanted to drive to Indianapolis three hours, you could have seen it for a single weekend <laughs> in theaters. Okay. Thanks, Netflix. You jerks. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Song of the Sea at no. all. The really the only reason I I started on, on that, well, a because I thought it was interesting, but b, it's just impossible to look at these numbers anymore. They just don't mean the same thing. There's going to be a handful of movies like Spider Man that you can look and say, well, it made a billion dollars, or there'll be a, a a smaller handful of movies where you're like, it wanted to make a billion dollars and it failed to make a billion dollars, and therefore it's a colossal bomb. But in terms of actually gauging what what made money for who when how it's all kind of behind closed doors now and that's the thing you have to have algorithms to do it too so you you know what would it be it would be like new subscriptions plus what was watched and what those new subscriptions were watching and you would just be trying to i don't even know how you would calculate it on the on the back end Mm-hmm. New subscriptions plus what those new subscriptions watch plus what everybody else is watching. Well, then it's not even only new subscriptions. It's how much content do you have to pump out to keep to my maintain. my subscription going. So it's just it's just really weird world that we live in. And I don't know that anyone's figured it out. I don't. Sus- I don't. I suspect that Netflix has not figured it out. What I suspect is that everybody has this business model that they're putting blind faith in and throwing billions of dollars at, hoping that. At a certain point, it'll all even out, and we may be heading towards the Great Depression of entertainment content. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or maybe they'll just keep it going forever. Maybe the shell game of of Netflix and these kinds of things can just. Anyway, that's not why you clicked on this podcast, folks. Well, I, so I'll, let me get us back on track, Nathan. Yeah. With a little, with with one more little piece of context, which is the critics love these movies. Like, yes. they love the movies of the studio. So, Secret of Kills, it, well, I'll give you Rotten Tomato percentages. Secret of Kills, 90%. Song of the Sea, 99%. The Breadwinner, 95%. And Wolf Walkers, 99%. Critical Darlings. Mm-hmm. How about the audience scores? Now, that I don't have in front of me, but I can find it for you. You, you should, because that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hold on. Hold on to your hats! <laughs> these audience quotes because they're exciting. <laughs> Secret of Kills, 85%. Um, it's a 5% drop. Yes, 5% drop. Drop. Song of the Sea, come on, 92%, 7% drop. So people really did like Song of the Sea. People really did like Song of that. the Sea. I really like Song of the Sea. Uh, Breadwinner, 88% drop. That's at 7% again. 
eighty not an eighty eight percent drop. Sorry, but eighty eight percent approval, which is a seven percent drop right. from ninety five. Um, and then what's that? Wolf Walkers. There we go. Wolf Walkers. Robots in disguise. <laughs> oh wow! Wolf Walkers ninety eight percent audience score. People love Wolf Walkers. People love Wolf Walkers. Maybe we should have watched Wolf Walkers. Maybe we still will watch Wolf Walkers. I kind of want to. I saw some clips and the animation was awesome. The animation was awesome. The story looked just kind of lame and stupid from the trailer, I thought. But I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. It would look the most overtly Miyazaki, if anything. But Yeah, it is. It's like Princess Mononoke yeah, rip off. Yeah, with down to the wolves, come to think of it. That's right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So, you guys, you gave us some context. We talked about the all-important Netflix scam. And now let's talk about this movie. All right. What did you guys think about Song of the Sea? I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. It freed my grief. <laughs> it freed your grief. <laughs> <laughs> it floated into the air. <laughs> it did. Turned into little storm clouds and rainbows. It did. Tears floated upwards yeah, into the rainbow. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I liked it. It's it was a good, I don't know, it's just solid. It's just a really well-constructed story where all the myth-making stuff maps onto like a fable about grief and what you should do with it. You know what? I'm sorry to interrupt, Ben. Maybe because there might be some listeners that just, I admit this is a small minority probably mm-hmm. of listeners, but there might be somebody who's made it this far, made it past the Netflix stuff, just likes to listen to us, doesn't know this movie because it's, you know, it's a mm. movie that some people might know. So, can somebody just describe what this movie is? Sure. The movie opens with a little boy who is excited about his baby sister being born, a happy family, and then... Something happens, and we flash forward, and mom's gone, and sister's there, and instead of being best friends with his sister, he's angry, and dad's broken and checked out, and the sister's mute, and it follows them on a journey as weird things start to happen to the sister, Sirsha, and they have to engage with all this mystical fantastical fairy world stuff that they didn't know was there underneath the surface and behind everything and they do and ben's gotta deal with his grief i'm trying and his sadness I'm trying Jake. and ben's the name of the boy no <laughs> um, sorry about that <laughs> and we gotta everybody's gotta cope with mom and little girl's gotta get her speech and and I don't think it's going to spoil it for any adult who's seen us read a story or s- seen a movie before that the mom and the sister have a relationship with fairyland. Mm-hmm. Magic is in the air. So, yeah. There's that, selkies. There's selkies. There's selkies. There's no other way to say it. Mm-hmm. All right. There's probably other ways to say it. There are lots of ways to say so it's it. It's not like a big spoiler. Right. That's something that we realize early on. Yeah. They're demonic merfolk. There's another way to say it. <laughs> Uh yeah okay so sorry Ben that back to your take I mean I I I mostly gave it I don't know I the only thing the only thing I think I could say that I'm a little a little unsure about in terms of the movie's quality is how neat and tidy it feels like it just maybe that's not fair but there's some quality of the movie where everything simply every single fairy tale aspect just maps onto this parable of grief. What's well, what's the difference between what Disney would do and what uh, Miyazaki. Miyazaki would do? Yeah, that's right. And so, if 
you want it to be as outlandish and and off the wall and off-putting and weird as Miyazaki, you're going to be disappointed. And if you want it to be as neat and pat and happy as Disney, you're going to be disappointed. And maybe if the middle ground position is not satisfying to you, you're not going to like the movie. But Mm -hmm. if you can live on that spectrum or in that continuum... I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that's all it is. Maybe the middle ground is just an, a place I my, my feet haven't trod. But uh, go Miyazaki or go Disney, but don't split the difference. Maybe, although I don't I don't feel like I resent that. So maybe it's something I can't get at, and maybe maybe it's not a problem at all. I really like the movie, so it's just it's just something that was like tickling the back of my mind. Like, is this is this too neat and tidy to actually to actually work? But I don't know that I don't know if that's fair actually. I'm not sure how to evaluate that feeling. And I had one other thought, which is that the sticking point and I mean I guess we've already given given spoilers, but the spoiler. Real spoilers from here on out. Sure, yeah. The sticking point f- for maybe the emotional fairness of the movie and the and the moral fairness of the movie is why does the mother go away? <laughs> Because it it reads as though the mother going back to fairyland is is all a big metaphor for for her death, which mm-hmm. I think is true. It is a metaphor for her death, but the movie plays with it in a in an odd way to me, at least. When it brings the mother back at the end, very briefly, I don't know. Maybe I I had a more coherent version of this thought earlier, but I don't know if I can articulate it now. It just, it just seems like there's something going on. Is she sad to be torn apart from her family? I guess she's tears, but but is it like... It gives her agency, basically. It gives her agency in departing and dying in in, in a way that feels, that's not actually, that doesn't actually work as just a The the rules at that point aren't aren't especially clear, or they weren't especially clear to me. Like... Did she have to go Did away? Did she have Did to, go to, to go to survive? She, that's right. Was she going to die if she didn't go away? That's yeah. kind of what they're playing with with Sirsha, but then Sirsha right. is able to make the decision to stay, and so then it's... Yes. And the mother is the one that empowers her to do that, which makes you think if the mother really loved the family, she, she could do that stayed. too. It, but it's confusing what the rules are. It, it's like it wants you to think that right. she, had, she had no choice, but the way that it goes around that... Yes. I mean, we're makes, telling the story less clear. the whole time yeah. of, you know, the, the sibling antagonism, all that stuff maps so perfectly onto grief. I mean, it's it's not even a metaphor. It just is your, your mom died, your family's torn apart, dad's distant. It's just that. That's, 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 mm-hmm. that's, that's the text. It's mm-hmm, not subtext. Right. Mm-hmm. And then... And then you have these this other massive metaphor for how you deal with grief. Bottle it up and kill it. And be and turn your heart into a heart of stone, and that's what we're fighting against. Or release it. I. Yep. Could I? Okay. I, I wish this wasn't just off the cuff, and I'd had more time to think about it. But in a Miyazaki movie, by comparison, it feels like everything the characters are dealing with happens against kind of this vast backdrop of a fairy tale world, which goes on with or without them. But in this movie, very literally, plot wise. Everything the fairy tale world does or doesn't do is actually subordinate to the choices that our family makes. Our family is, in fact, like the the little girl is is somehow the chosen one, and in That's a way, right. again, that the movie is not really clear about. That's right. But her actualization yeah. is what frees all of Fairyland to to cross over to the 
Eternal Shores or wh- whatever yep. it's called. And yep. that, I think that's the tidiness that to me is just a little, at least stru- maybe, and maybe it's just a structural thing that it's like, well, that, that makes it less compelling or resonant for me overall. Because with, with, with Miyazaki, you feel like he's getting at something that's bigger than you, that will, all, that will always stay there. And you might interact with it, but at the end of the day, it's, it goes on without you. Mm-hmm. In this movie, no, that's not true. It actually lives or dies with your decisions. Or with this particular family. Right. That's right. The, and la- even, the last of the Selkies or that's whatever That's right. That's right. And, and that, that kind of threw me in terms of... I think that's also another good example of that is the antagonist, Maka the Owl Witch. Right. She is redeemed entirely through the choices of our protagonist in mm-hmm. a way where Miyazaki would just be like, you know... The world's full of owl witches. It's, 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 it's just a thing, you know? Yeah. Witchy yeah. women do what they're going to do. And, and, and Miyazaki wouldn't be above having her do something nice. But it would have the kind of that kind of fairy tale, arbitrary feeling of, eh, you know, sometimes owl witches come around. But she, she never loses her owl it, witchiness. Well, yeah. If we're going to just keep playing with the contrast, what Disney yeah. would do is they would have let you know from the very beginning that this is a chosen one story. Yeah. And then they would have sewn it That's all right. up a lot, even more tidy and neat than this. And it would have all had more emotional uh, resonance in the resolution. Well, and the sadness of Maka would have been laid even more on more thick in act one. And we yep. w- we would be crying when she was redeemed. I mean, that's how Pixar would do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, that's true. It would all. Yeah. I think, I think what I, what I, what I like about Miyazaki is, is that sense of, well, if anything, we are, I mean, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to do this, but if anything, we're creatures of a world that we, of an unseen realm. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of our lives are dictated by forces that we better come to understand. I, I'm, I, Miyazaki is just, a, he's actually just a materialist pagan. He's using Japanese folk religion, just like this guy, to tell a story and make an allegory about humanity and our feelings and stuff. That's what Miyazaki's doing. Right. So, it's just, he's just a pagan guy. But, but... He's not, but this guy is, is more like, well, it, it just feels like his, his unseen realm, his, his spiritual world is just your creation, mm-hmm. basically, at the end of the day. Like, you need these myths because you need to process your emotions. Whereas Miyazaki has some sense that, eh, you're subordinate to other things, actually, that you better get a handle on. And that may not be fair, but... I mean, even I'm if you want to say Miyazaki is just a pagan deist kind of guy, you com- combined with his weird Shintoism and all yeah, that, yeah. he at least captures that existential sort of, well, tsunamis happen and sometimes they wipe away your family and that hurts. And there's nothing you can do about that. And Try to find some healing, but try, try to find you live healing. in a world of tsunamis at the end of the day. Right. And of flowers. And, of <laughs> and the tsunamis bring the flowers. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the flowers bring the tsunamis. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, well, Jake, so, so Ben, what you've, you've, I think you've described this movie. What you haven't quite done maybe is made a case that your, your, anything you had a problem with was... Is an actual problem? Yeah, you've yeah. just, you've just said, I, like... I've only said so far what I, what I think I like better. I think I, I do like Miyazaki more. Miyazaki is weirder. But I, I, I maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll know what I actually think the more we go along. I mean, yeah, we said Disney does this thing yeah. over here. That's fine. Miyazaki does a thing over on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, this guy's doing something in between. Maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't. But is it a problem? We haven't made the case that it's actually a problem that he's doing that thing. I, I mean, it seems like a problem to me that the 
the rules aren't entirely clear around the central emotional point of the movie because he tied the plot and the myth-making so closely to the emotional trauma of the, mo the mother's death that I'm left a little bit wondering what to think and how to evaluate the mom, which I didn't not, which was not a position I wanted to be put in, actually. I'd rather just be able to grieve with the family. But I feel like I have to make a moral judgment about who the mom is, why she's doing what she's doing, if she's right or wrong. And I think the movie, I think that's a little inelegant. It doesn't feel intentional to me. Yeah, well, Mizaki would be like... But maybe I'm wrong. Miyazaki would be like, eh, the mom, she's problematic. And you'd know that was the intention. That's right. And Disney would be like, yay, the mom, oh, she died. And you'd, you'd know this, the answer one, again. One, I guess one way or the other you would. Uh, but someone can convince me that it's intentional. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe then my answer is, well, I think he's wrong <laughs> to make that intentional. I, I, I'm not sure yet. Well, we'll work towards it. But Jake, what's your, what's your overall feeling on this and on the concerns Ben's raised, if you want to go there right now? I did not expect this movie to have uh, the layers of complexity it did. And so this is one of the few movies for this show that I've not sat down and watched with a level of intention. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, an animated movie that I know my kids like. I will mm -hmm. be able to flip this on and do other things and watch it and be able to have a good discussion about it. So I turned it on for uh, Friday night, pizza and movie night. We had a guest over that night. Uh, I was making pizza for everybody for half, probably the better half of the movie. I wasn't even taking in the visuals as well as I should have been to have any kind of interesting discussion. I just thought, oh, wow, this is a pretty fun movie. It's pretty. It sounds really great, like, you know, the just the everything about how it was built felt really nice. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't even especially engaged emotionally in it. So, I am operating at a distance here that where I feel, I feel a, a basic need to defend the movie and defend it by the standards of other movies that we've watched. Mm -hmm. But I don't really have, I don't feel like I have much in my arsenal to defend it so that's sort of where i'm at in terms of the conversation we're having about it i only just sort of like from a big picture by comparison to any number of disney movies we like or pixar movies we like or miyazaki movies we like mm -hmm. in terms of quality and craft and emotional resonance this ranks pretty high seems mm -hmm. to rank pretty high yeah <clears throat> i um, at the end of the day i think i just probably agree yeah, it ranks really high. It's really good. Whatever this issue is. I mean, I agree from a craft perspective, but I felt all the same things that you did, Ben, and they they bothered me enough to make me think maybe my thumb is down on the whole endeavor. I mean, I understand and I sympathize. I mean, I, you have my permission to like it as if you needed it, aud like random audience member who's ready to bristle. It's 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 good. It's 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 really really well done and if you have any sympathy for mythology or folklore or just, you know, hearing ethereal music while somebody quotes the poetry of Yeats, which I know one of our good friends who we may or may not podcast with has a great, I believe this is a Chastine family favorite. I think I can just say that on the podcast. And no if, you, if you know Brandon and you realize this movie starts with a famous quote from W.B. Yeats, Brandon's one of Brandon's favorite poets mm. and goes from there and builds kind of a Yeatsian world great i but i will say 
I found, let, let me describe my reaction similar to what Ben was doing, and, and then we can try and parse whether our dual reaction gets to anything objective or this movie just didn't quite nail this, its center central motif. Its central motif for both of us. So my reaction was, why isn't this hitting me harder on a fairy tale level? Like, I love these kinds of stories, and yet this story consistently from beginning to end isn't quite evoking those feelings for me. It's not quite plugging into the fairy tale part of my brain, and I can't figure out why. And I finally figured out, as, as weird and off-putting as many things in this movie are, especially consider, compared to Disney stuff, it lacks something that even Disney movies has, which is an essential darkness. And you will say maybe the owls are scary and the witch lady's scary. You know, it's got a lot of scary stuff. But my experience of the movie, at least subjectively speaking, like there's not that underlying note of things are arbitrary and things are bad. You know, I, everything feels tidy from the beginning to the end. I think tidy is a good word for it. I never felt like, yeah, okay, the owls might steal the sister, but it's, it's going to be okay. Even if the music was just a little bit more ominous in places instead of this kind of ethereal folksy stuff, it would have helped me just... I mean, fairy tales are scary and they exist in a scary world. And I didn't feel like this movie, for all of its nodding in that direction, actually existed in a world that could hurt you. And I know that's insane for, for people because the whole movie is about this boy's hurt. But, th but that's my problem. My problem was that Something about the way this movie portrayed grief. I mean, I'm such a sucker for this stuff. Like, m my wife and I have sat and watched movies about dead moms or about missing parents or about families broken apart and just cried the whole way through and, you know, had great discussions and stuff. But this movie somehow just doesn't map onto my experience. It does not feel like it's playing fair with that stuff. It's, it's got a lot of let, nice, great race notes and the relationship between the brother and the sister and the distance of the dad and the way he comes around. But it is just so tidy and it's metaphor, you know, your emotions are repressed in bottles, release them, then everything will be fine and your dead mom will make everything fine. Only maybe she never wanted to be there anyway. Maybe she elected to die. Maybe she doesn't actually love your dad that much or has a higher calling. Maybe she does. Who knows? Maybe just smashing your grief bottles isn't always a good thing. Maybe it's scary to smash your grief bottles in a way that this movie doesn't acknowledge. Maybe it leads to terrible things as well as good things. And maybe that's part of the, the, the movie that I actually compared it to which I think says it has a beautiful, simple central metaphor is inside out where you have sadness and joy and they both have to work together and that's adulthood. And it's just like that, that's, it's so simple and it's so beautiful. And it says something that maps onto the universal human experience. Like when I was a kid, all I had was joy. And then I had to learn how to be sad and happy. Like that's, it, it's simple, but it maps. This movie doesn't map for me. When have I had to just unleash my grief and that's accomplished wonders? I mean, like maybe and again, we, I could just be talking subjectively. This movie could be a perfect thing that just didn't work for me. That's fine, I guess. But 
I, I do want to describe my experience because my experience was this movie doesn't map. This is not actually talking about grief as I experience it. And, and yeah, I think a lot of it does just have to do with the way that the ending is unclear, the way that like, what, where did the mother go? But, but it also has to do with the owl lady. Like, like I said, you just, you just unleash your emotions and that's, that's it. You just smash the bottles and then everything's fine. Smashing the bottles is like, I think Pixar could have nailed this, this metaphor because they'd add just the additional level of complexity in something like Coco or when they're at their best and they're doing something like this, like the Pete Doctor movies, Inside Out, Coco, things like that. I forget whether Coco is actually Pete Doctor, but it's not, but, but he was the shepherd of it. I think that's might be post Lassiter, but anyways, who cares? Pixar at their best, they'll actually get this additional level of complexity and in their simple animated children's film metaphors, they, they will, they will do things like, yeah, when you smash the bottle, it's liberating, but that Liberty comes with a great price. Like that's something that they'll. And that, but that price was, is worth paying. Was the price not there in the need to bo- introduce the bottles in the first place? Maybe. I mean, I was it know. the whole? The, the whole point is you have to feel pain if you're gonna. The whole point is we're being overwhelmed by our grief and our pain, and it's you know crushing us and everyone else around us, and so mm-hmm. that's why we needed to bottle it up in the first place. Well, okay, but so then, then which lady, Al, which lady, she unleashes her son or or whatever. Her son gets unleashed, and he's not crying anymore. He's not still. He's not going to flood the ocean. Yay! That feels cheap to me. Like he was going to destroy the earth with his tears. Hmm. Now we've enlivened him, and everything's fine because all you have to do is unleash your emotions. I'm sorry. A, that's a crappy message. B. It just doesn't track emotionally for me. There should be a price. There should be a reckoning. And and this movie, to me, in a way that I could almost make myself mad talking about, feels like it assiduously avoids dealing with any of that. With the witch woman, with the mom coming back. Like, it doesn't want to, like, like the, shouldn't the dad be mad or sad or something? Shouldn't, the, mm-hmm. shouldn't he be something? And the movie's like, nah, he's fine now. He loves his kids. He's he's acknowledged his grief. We've all acknowledged our grief. And now the grandmother's fine with everything too. Yeah. She somehow got over everything. I get, people will say, hey, Nathan, it's an animated movie. They take shortcuts. I, I get that. But there's a shortcut where you go down the street and there's a shortcut where you run over my lawn because it's a stupid shortcut. And these are stupid shortcuts. Like, there there's a fairy tale. We're just going to give you a big, bold metaphor that allows us to get over all of this really quickly. The beast became human because love. That's fine. I'm fine with that kind of thing. But there has to be emotional logic, emotional math that connects in there. And this movie doesn't have it. And so, I cried. I was moved. I loved the animation. I mean, I, I enjoyed this movie on on many levels. But at the end of the day, I felt my wife's, who always has a visceral response to every movie, hated it. And, but she was with it the whole time. She wasn't like actively hating it. She wasn't making me hate it, if that's what you're wondering, dear listener. We were both into it while we were watching it. But then she thought about it for a second and she was like, well, that was crap. And I, was like, why do you, I was like, no, it's not. Why, why do you think it's crap? And she's like, I don't know. It's just, I didn't like it. 
Uh, didn't you think it was beautiful? Yeah, but it, it was stupid how, where it went. I, I, I hated the mom. I was like, okay, yeah, me too. And she's like, what are you going to say about it? And I'm like, well, I'll figure it out by Wednesday when we record. So, I'm still figuring it out, I guess. But 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 ultimately, I I really don't like it. I really don't like the way that it treats grief. It feels cheap to me. And again, I know people will say, well, Coco says you can just play a magical song and your grandmother in the last stages of Alzheimer's <laughs> will come back. <laughs> but that track, as silly as that is, as fairy tale as that is, it tracks on to real human experience. Mm-hmm. You don't think that immature boys deal with grief through anger and punishing people and need to learn to feel sadness in order to, I mean, that's, I mean, if we're taking the central character, sure. the central metaphor, that's what tracks. What does track is he's, he, 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 his dad's checked out. Mm -hmm. He's sad. He hates feeling sad. So he's just angry. Right. And he's not going to go any farther than anger. And he's going to punish his sister for his grief because he doesn't want to feel sad. And so, he's just going to be mean to her constantly. And then he has to learn how to feel sadness and love his sister in the process and not blame her for his own sadness. Yeah, that's, that's fine, I think. As so it that's goes. basically the, that's the way the metaphor, at least for him. For him, yeah. So, if you told me out. to write that movie, here's how I write it. Mom shows up. Oh, I'm ethereal mommy at the uh, mommy ghost. And and he says, I hated you. And he starts crying. And then she says something. Sorry, I got called away to fairyland. It was more important than you. Or sorry, I didn't have a choice. Or son, I was always here in your heart. I mean, I, I would even maybe take the cheapest Disney. But it's like at, at the central moment, we have actually bypassed dealing with the transition between anger and sadness. All we've done is say, when you unleash your sadness, then anger and joy work themselves out. And I'm sorry, but that's cheap and it's a bad moral. And I, I could see how it could be very powerful for someone who is bottled up to realize I need to take that first step. But the movie at least needs to acknowledge that it's a first step. In its fairy tale, metaphorical, big, bold way, it, it needs to track onto human experience and human experience is that either we need more steps in order to actually get to a complete human or we need to acknowledge that this is one little step. And instead, it's just like, well, he, he broke the bottles, mom waved her magic wand and everything's okay and everybody's okay and the giant's okay and everybody and the sister makes an arbitrary choice to stay with them when she could have just as easily made a choice to go with mommy. And the movie doesn't weight it either way. Of course, we want her to stay because we love the boy, but we're not sure exactly why she would stay or what mommy's even offering and going with her. Like those, those are unacceptable narrative shortcuts. So I'm sorry to be so like hot and down on a movie that people really love, but it felt personal to me. I mean, obviously it did. It felt like, oh, you're going to wander into the parentless grief dojo my dojo you're gonna come here you're gonna tread on my turf here movie like you know i have parents my wife has parents that we don't talk to anymore like uh, we we've had that trauma or whatever you want to call it and you're gonna be cheap about this and you're gonna make idiots cry okay now i've gone too far because people love this movie and i cried but i yeah i do not like this movie 
at all. But it's okay if everybody else likes it. <laughs> You're just horribly morally flawed and stunted emotionally if you do. Yeah. No, you just... What? You connected the dots that the movie didn't connect. And that's okay, I guess. But I'd like you to come over here and acknowledge with me that the movie actually didn't connect them and have some sympathy for my annoyance at that. I think I think somebody could watch this and have a profound experience, but it's because they're doing a little bit of extra work that the movie doesn't do. And if they, if they want to forgive the movie for that, that's fine. But I do not forgive the movie for that. Especially when you know about this guy, especially when you see his other movies, when you realize how callow and hollow and cheap he actually is and how little he knows about any act, anything of actual spiritual value or emotional value. I'm not going to give it to him. And so then people say, well, why would you give it to Pete Doctor? Why would you give it to the Russo brother? Well, you got me there. This movie did not put me in a forgiving mood. But there's literally one critic on Rotten Tomatoes that didn't like it. Like that that 99% or whatever Ben said, I looked it up because I was like, I want to see what someone else's take was who didn't like this movie because I haven't seen any. And I don't remember. It wasn't an interesting take. I think the person just thought it was slow or... It was a stupid take. But there's there's literally, literally one critic on Rotten Tomatoes that that didn't like this movie. So hmm. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just describing my own I mean, I, I feel like it, it obviously touched a really personal nerve for you <clears throat> in a way that you felt was not fair. It didn't pay off. Yeah. I don't I mean I have some we all in this room have, I dare say, some similar parent trauma. Mm. But I don't feel personally angry at the movie you do but i don't i don't think obviously jake doesn't and i think i i wonder why that is yeah i don't know i mean it did also feel like an insult to fairy tales to me like i think disney simplifies fairy tales into something that's useful and i think miyazaki does too i could go either direction but that middle ground that we described that tidiness that is not what i like about fairy tales now this could just be purely personal but fairy tale there there has to be some real horror in a fairy tale and in disney there is and in miyazaki there is in this guy's universe everything's tidy everything works out and everybody's actually on your side if they only knew it and that is not a fairy tale that is not any fairy any good fairy tale that's ever been written it's not the world that we live in and it's not the way that people have metaphorized it it's not Heinz Christian Andersen. It's not the Grimm brothers. It's not, certainly not Irish folklore, which can just be brutal. It's not Celtic or Norse. It's not. I mean, I'll, I'll give that part to you. I think that's, I do think that's some kind of weakness. This guy just feels like a Jim Henson sort of, I mean, I like the Muppets, but a hippie. He just feels like a hippie who wants to tell you that we were, if we were all just nice and released our emotions then and, and made art then everything would be okay. Well, folks, Jake and Ben agree with me so much. They've been so convinced that they're stunned into silence. I really feel like in order to engage with the movie on as visceral level as you have, I have to go back and watch it again with, with more intentionality than I ever did in the first place. I'll say this. The movie's good enough. I mean, it's, it's a quality artifact enough that you probably wouldn't be sorry to do that. Or it wouldn't, I mean, who has time for that? But I don't have time for that. But in the, in, in the interest of having an actual good, helpful discussion about it, 
I could easily agree with everything that you said, I think, but I don't know if that's, uh, I didn't engage with it enough to be angry about it. Right. But cer certain things that you said about the places where you were disengaged or not quite feeling it, I felt that too. I just don't know how much of that was, I was also making pizza and mm -hmm. tracking with how my kids were engaging and how my guest was engaging with the movie and everything else. And it's just hard for me to parse all of that. Okay. Well, your, your guest is probably listening and I don't think okay. they would, he or she would mind me saying it's it, the type of person that would have a potent chemical reaction with this movie. So I'm sure that was. Yeah. I, it was something that I was very much processing. Well, to well, but also just not fully. But can I give you a little credit? I'm sorry, Ben. Uh, just yeah, real ahead, quick, uh, I I, I want to give you credit by way of shoring up my point. I, I think you're s smart and emotionally intelligent enough and a good enough connoisseur of movies, Jake, that you probably did a really good job of taking in more of the movie than than the average person would, while also making pizza and processing it through your kids and. So, so all of that to say, I think the places where you felt that disconnect weren't pizza and weren't kids. I think that it was the movie's disconnect. So I'm, I'm, I, at least I suspect. I'm, fa I'm fairly, I suspect you're right. I just, I grant, I grant you. passive enough that I just don't feel good about putting myself behind your argument. Yes. I, I grant you your, uh, get out of jail free card. I just, Ben, what were you going to say? Well, Okay. <clears throat> I, I was, I'm just trying to think about why it didn't offend me. I mean, I've seen movies, I've seen a number of movies I could think of, for instance, the movie Warrior with Tom Hardy, mm -hmm. which actually did affect me on an emotional level and which was a helpful way to process certain grief about, you know, fathers. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that movie the whole time because that movie is one of the... It's honest. Yeah, and it's it's the best processing of emotional grief that a movie has ever given my marriage. I mean, it was, it was, it's, it was something to watch that movie. Yeah. No, it's, the movie's great. It's, it's really honest. And I thought of my life when I watched that movie, but you, I don't, it never occurred to me to think of my parent trauma watching Song of the Sea. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that is telling of something that actually is telling of something. That doesn't mean on some level I wasn't processing it, but it, I never, I didn't even have the thought. And I always have the thought in a movie about moms and dads. Mm -hmm. you know, about my own life. But I, I didn't in this movie that I can think of. And I don't know, I took it, it to me it was, a, it became a less personal and more generic parable that I appreciated for what it was on the level which it was trying to communicate, mm -hmm. like a simple moral lesson. And I think if I tried to take it as an honest way to deal with my own grief or the way that you deal with deep trauma, then Maybe I would have had a more visceral Nathan-like reaction. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm not sure. But I guess that tells you something about the movie, Song of the Sea. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it does. It didn't, it didn't do that for me. So, it, insofar as that's a failing of the movie, not to do it for me, I also am able to forgive the movie for not doing it for me. Like, it's okay. Yeah, it's just... It's well, and I could see that being a, a valid reading of the text, you know, it's, 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 it is actually just a little story about a mom who disappeared. It, like, it's not supposed to map onto anybody's grief. It's just supposed to tell. Except that it is. Yeah, I mean, well, it, 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 it is, but I, I, I a guess. A valid but wrong reading. Well, I, I bottled its lesson in a little bottle and I never, <laughs> I don't let it out. Let it out. <laughs> no, it I'm out. afraid of what would happen no. if I did. Um, yeah, to me, I just, I just took it as 
here is one thing. There's a principle in here in this movie that I appreciate. Mm -hmm. I found it affecting in this story. It did make me cry or tear up at least. And I, it's, it's good. It's fine as far as it goes. If you, if you repress your grief, Nathan, let me tell you the moral of this movie, Nathan. Mm -hmm. If you repress your grief, it will destroy your family. Okay, there you go. Dust's hands. We're all done. I, but I, I just, I just didn't find it offensive that it was such a simplistic, what it was. Right. I wasn't, I was not offended. Well, and I, I just thought even on that level, the math still wasn't there. It's like that meme, that famous South Park, you know, first we do this crazy thing, then we do this crazy thing, then question mark, then profit, you know, that, that famous thing huh. like, like there's a missing piece of the puzzle here okay yeah i know, I, I, I know what, you, what you mean even even as a simple parable a simple disney fable or huh. even even as something that doesn't have to map onto anyone's greater trauma it's just a little cute little animated story huh. i i think it it doesn't have its own internal logic and it, and it all comes down to the easy redemption of the owl woman and the non- actually dealing with anything of the mom showing up at the end huh there's no there's no way to i mean the whole thing with the mom at the end is just weird yeah yeah that that doesn't work i mean yeah maybe what i'd say is you don't have to be as personally invested and therefore offended as i was but can we all just say like in, in just in terms of storytelling and emotional logic it, you got to go a direction it, with that that's right it wasn't as flagrantly bad well there was a movie that chose a really bad direction to go with that, which was How to Train Your Dragon 2, mm. which is also which also has a mom who abandoned her son and then comes back at the end of the movie. Never saw that one. So, Sorry what is the mom? That. Spoilers. I mean, was she just, she left because really she had a higher- the first one. I really like the first one a lot. And the second one would be awesome, except for its central emotional deal is really messed up because the mom had a higher calling, which was to commune with and train the dragons. And she never, ever apologizes to the dad for leaving, abandoning the family. And it's, it's genuinely gross. The movie doesn't even give the heft it does. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. It's bad. Right. And it's, it's, it's like an awesome movie. It's, it's better in many ways than the first in terms of its intensity and fun level, but it's just, it's bad. And that, that movie, I guess to its credit, is making a really bad decision about what to do with the emotional reality of the mom, which is to say... Nope, definitely not apologizing for it. But even that, I don't know. It reminds me of this movie. Mm -hmm. This movie underplays all that a little more. It just leaves it even weirder and more ambiguous. Right. But it's 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 the same kind of problem. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm liking this movie less as we talk about it because of the mom. I think I just I just enjoyed watching the whole thing so much. Yeah, you know, it just despite my intensity, which is real. I would probably still recommend this movie to anyone who is interested in it just because the animation is beautiful and the soundtrack's beautiful and it's it's compelling the story's compelling I like I like the bratty brother who you know I will say I, I get that the whole conceit of the movie is that they've had this trauma and he blames it on his sister and all this stuff that being said I I got, I got tired of him being mean to his sister I, I understand that's a not good faith criticism but if I'm just describing my reaction to the movie, like... Yeah, that's fair. It was hard to take. You just... This kid is just not very likable. Give me mm -hmm. a little bit something more. Mm -hmm. And the, but, but the opening scene is so sweet, too, with the family and the mom and everything. Like, it's... Of that 
we're setting you up for the inevitable trauma that's going to happen five minutes into the movie of that genre. <laughs> it's it's one of the best of, of its kind. I love the little opening with the mom telling the story. And mm-hmm. obviously, Brendan Gleeson does the dad and he can do this kind of thing in his sleep and make it awesome and add layers. The whole voice cast is good. Yeah. Wasn't really vibing with those comic relief fairy fiddle playing nah. dudes. Gargoyles the gar- and the back of yeah. Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to bring up another thing that maybe I think is a problem. At least, uh, yeah, I felt it viscerally as a problem when we watched the movie, which is that all the fairy tale stuff is literal. It's a real interaction with the physical world. It's like, this is the world you live in. It's full of fairies. Mm-hmm. But when the song of the sea girl, you know, the chosen one, the main little mute, Sirsha, when she, you know, redeems the entire fairy world, suddenly everything is spiritual and metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, if I, I'm going to confuse our listener, but sorry, listener, it's literally spiritual. Right. <laughs> Instead of literally, like, material. Like, instead of being part of the world that you can go to that can affect you, where the fairies have a little cave hidden in a traffic circle or something, suddenly all, all, this, all the spirits rise out of the stone statues of the fairies. It feels more like Pocahontas mm-hmm. or something. That's right. Yeah. It's just and pure it's like, pantheism. It's like, what, so why did we go to the... I thought that the whole point was that this is all part of the real world. And this guy... No, no, no. But, but wasn't the whole thing, they were all dying and being trapped in stone? They, they were all dying, but... But then... They were all being trapped in stone, right? Yeah, they were all being trapped in stone. The owls were coming and even trapping our friends in stone. Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe... So, this whole world was dying off and being trapped in stone. There again, just a little rule clarification. Like, why why did they all have to go to Valhalla at the end? Why was the... Why was the curtain closing between the two worlds? Are there, in fact, two worlds? Or were they just going to fairy heaven, like... So my, I mean, maybe the average Irish person who really grew up seeped in this folklore would have answers for all these questions and they'd be so natural that the filmmaker just never thought to answer them because he felt free taking shortcuts that worked. And they just have, they aren't shortcuts. That's, it, it does feel like a shortcut, even though your explanation's good. Maybe I, I, well, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I think b- I, remembering the movie and mit, trying to make sense of it. it. It just seemed like, for instance, when uh, it, this is, here's a little plot detail, but when, when they break the owl jar that holds the fairy spirit of the little gargoyle fairies, the stone actually stops working or it cracks and they come back alive out of the stone in part. So, you would think that when you cracked open all the fairy jars that that held their souls or their feelings or whatever it was that trapped them in stone, the stone would break and they come out. The movie actually sets you up to think that, in my opinion, visually. And then what you see instead is, well, it's all, it's just a spiritual world. And it feels more like I want to let you, the viewer, know that we're talking in metaphor. And, and, I, and I feel like you didn't need to do that. Yeah. Like, it, why, why not have the giant who's frozen in stone as his own island in the ocean, which is an awesome picture and an awesome conceit. Yeah. Have him break open. Yeah. You know, have, it, have, have the end of the movie be, where'd that island go? Something like that. Just, it just seems to me like, I don't know. But may- maybe maybe I'm quibbling, but that's that I expected actually something like that to happen mm-hmm. and felt a little let down. Right. See, I, it, maybe this is heavy ended, but I would almost tie that to there being broader issues because I don't think you I don't think you mind those kind of quibbles in a movie that is totally connecting on every emotional level uh, that, it, probably that right. it means to. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I don't mean you personally. I mean, one does one. not. Yes. So, Yeah. 
You know, uh, Jake was just saying, or we were just saying, if, if you know, maybe the average Irishman brings his own context. Uh, it's interesting to think that because from what everything I saw about Selkies, the context you would bring is mom never really wanted to be married to Brendan Gleeson. Mm-hmm. She did her darndest to be a great wife and mother. And then when the sea called, she went and that was what she wanted and that was where she belonged. And she's never had any intention or thought of coming back. And it's, it would just be interesting. I mean, that's obviously not what the movie wants you to think. There's just, there's no way that's the reading he's going for at the end. But it's interesting that that's like, that's the mythology. And, and then it's interesting that it's just a mm-hmm. weird to me choice to not have more of a scene between her and Brendan Gleeson at the mm-hmm. end. Like she kisses him. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's just, it's just like, it's, even ignoring the larger issues, it's like these are two ca- main characters that we c- are invested in and we care about. We want to know. And he says, you know, I miss you, sweetie, or something. I loved you. I always have. Right. So, what? He just needed to acknowledge that he loved her? Like, what was he repressing? I'm pretty sure he knew he loved her because he's been in mourning now for however many years she has been alive. Six, seven. Six, seven. If anything, the dad could stand to man up and start repressing a few things for the sake of his children. By working through his grief, Nathan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But the movie didn't actually want to talk about that. So, maybe they just should have made a different movie. Ah, get off my lawn, movie. <laughs> How dare you attempt to entertain me and move me emotionally. <laughs> I don't know. You better do it perfectly. <sighs> Uh, anything else you guys want to... I, I feel like I have to watch Wolf Walkers now. Just yeah. Just to see if if we're off base, or if you're off base at least. L- l- let me if make, I'm off base. L- let, me, let me prophesy. Wolf Walkers will have a lot of cool stuff, but it will be the capstone in the edifice that is the argument that this guy sucks. Like, it will... <laughs> <laughs> it will... It will confirm that... He is a annoying progressive that actually understands nothing about fairy tales and just wants to beat up on capitalism or colonialism or patriarchalism or whatever ism he decides to beat up in that on that one. Unfortunately, I find it easy to buy that that uh, prophecy, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're wrong, Nathan. You ever think about that? Nope, <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> How could I do a podcast? No, it's it's right. I wanted to. I wanted to like this movie. I don't know. It's pretty. If the soundtrack was just a little more ominous. I mean, this is maybe just a personal thing, but I just, I just want Fairyland to be more dangerous than this movie made it. And, and I, and I know I've already said this, but Disney gets that. Disney makes things actually scary. And obviously Miyazaki's whole world just feels kind of weird and askew and scary. Hmm. But I just kept waiting for this movie to be scary. And it feels like they really missed a bet by not making it truly scary, actually. Like, that that's, mm-hmm. a, that's an essential component of this type of story. And the owls, as creepy mm-hmm. as they are, aren't quite creepy enough to, to make you pay the price that you need to pay to get to the, the, the good stuff. Like, there, there just has to be a dragon. There has to be. The, the owl lady could have just been amped up a little bit. Her, her whole fake happy persona could have been made creepy enough maybe to 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 give you that feeling but it's just like i i have not got my money's worth of fairy tale if there's not 
some true horror in there somewhere. J.K. Rowling understood this. C.S. Lewis understood this. You know, all the greats understood this. But Tom, what's his face? Moore. Moore. Didn't understand it. Jerk. Maybe read some more fairy tales. You jerk. And but spell your name with one M while you're at it. You don't need to be called Tom Moore. You know, I feel like this has gotten a little bit petty, Nathan, <laughs> somehow. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time I've been building up to my double M argument. That's what I thought this podcast was all about. <laughs> Maybe now I can steal one of those M's from you. Put it in a jar. <laughs> now, <laughs> you jerk. All right, Ben, how many emotion thief owls out of seven do you give to Song of the Sea? I mean, I'm in process here now after this conversation, but we'll say five. Five, all right. Jake? Yep. Out of seven? Seven owls. I think feel like Jake, you might have thought I was being the, the big provocateur in this episode, but I feel like it's Jake. But the only one that he's provoking is me, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> as long as the person you're doing it to isn't sympathetic. Seven what again? Seven emotion-thieving owls. Oh, okay, owls. Yeah. Not jars or... Jars. Selkies. <laughs> selkies. Yeah, seven selkies. <laughs> How many selkies do you give to this? Uh, zero selkies, but I give five out of seven owls. Five out of seven owls? Man, I mean, if I was going to be honest to my experience... Oh, just be honest. That's interesting. All maybe, right. I'm going to give it. Maybe it's not. I, I, I think it's basically in terms of the actual story that it tells when you boil it all down. It's like a one or a zero owl movie, but I'm going to give it an owl for the animation. I'm going to give it an owl for the music and I'll give it an owl for just the craftsmanship and quality that went into this thing, which is so I'll give it three owls but i feel like i'm being very generous so and i'm deducting an owl for that extra m so i'll give it two owls <laughs> two owls sorry tom better luck next time <laughs> oh guys i don't know the last time maybe we're this maybe you're this visceral every time but i'm just trying to remember what did we talk about last time? You the probably, Batman? Yeah, I mean, you may not notice it as much when you're you're feeling the same. I guess not. But I don't know when the last time I was this visceral. Yeah. Probably. Mm. I can't think of a good joke answer. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the best joke answer for that? I don't know. Probably knowing. Probably knowing. <laughs> probably. Visceral love. Probably so. Pouring into yeah. people's ears. <laughs> So, this movie is like the selkie song that broke open the jars of your visceral emotions about yeah. your childhood trauma. Yes, that's <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. I'm glad everybody got to see all this processing. Oh, Tom. You know, his name's Thomas. His name's T-H-O-M-A-S, Thomas Moore. But he goes by the nickname T-O-M-M. What a pretentious... <laughs> I would I would assume that in Ireland, Nathan, you just you spell Tom with two M's and that's normal. Mm, I bet no one's ever done it. And he's like, I will affix an additional M's. I'm so sure that people will know how, a what a charming, superior. I'm specimen. sure there's a charming story <laughs> <laughs> attached to the double M's. Oh, a leprechaun came and <laughs> gave me another M. <laughs> One day you'll cry bitter tears as you regret making fun of. Uh, probably you won't. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know. Well, I guess not. All right, that's enough of that. Thanks for listening, folks. Hey, you know who? What we never can get enough of is our patrons, especially the ones who win the patron choice award of awesomeness. And I've actually got a new PC AA winner today. His name is Timothy. What is so awesome about Timothy, guys? We've discussed this many times, but never on mic. Well, Timothy is like it's like an owl swooping down. A terrifying owl swooping down out of the sky. But instead of stealing your emotions, he's bringing back the parts of you that you had lost or you thought you'd lost. <laughs> That's what I love about Timothy. Yeah, no, I mean, that, everybody always says that. I didn't know whether we wanted to be that obvious. But yeah, he's Sometimes like... It's, it's worth being I really appreciate it. Yeah, he's like, on a personal he's, level. he's like a terrifying he's owl. many parts of himself. And so. <laughs> Timothy's been of great service to me oh, yeah, man. over the years. When my arm got sawed off and fell into that gorge, it's like, where's my owl bud, Tim? And he brought it to me. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, Timothy's a great guy. He's our, That's why he's our patron choice award winner of awesomeness. And this movie's great, and everyone who loves it is great. And Irish folklore is great, and Tom York is great. Tom Moore is what I meant by that. And until next time. My son, remember me in your stories and in your songs. Know that I will love you. Always love you. Always. Aw. Aw. That's like literally the only quote you can find on the internet from that movie. I'm trying. Oh. I know what's best. Oh, okay. No, I know what's We're best. still recording, so. Oh. I know what's best. That's something the grandmother in Matcha says. Both say that. Played by the same actor. Oh, by the way. They are the same actress. But by the way, this movie, you can find the Irish dubbed version where they all talk in Irish. Really? This movie has, that's, that's actually the real version. We saw the English version. But Brendan Gleeson and the lady that plays Maka both reprised their roles for the English version, so. Isn't that nice? Cool. Until next time. I already X'd out on that quote. The world's more full of weeping than you'll ever understand. Not in this movie, because all the weeping got solved by those owls. <laughs>